0: You've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton.
1: Welcome to another thrilling episode of the Paranoia Podcast. I am Ola Phillips. I am the publisher of Paranoia. He is
2: Ron Patton, editor in chief of Paranoia, the conspiracy reader. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Well,
1: it's my pleasure, Ron. So <clears throat> so you're you're in the acting mood. Now why would that be, Ron?
2: Well, I finally got to watch a movie that i was in called south of eight it's a dystopian crime thriller uh futuristic dystopian crime thriller i should say and it was filmed in san diego took them close to two years to make and uh it was kind of weird how i broke into the into showbiz uh There was this guy who was uh, downstairs in the basement where I had my store, you know, the Paranoia store in San Diego. And he was telling me that, hey, man, you want to act? We got we got a few extra roles. And I go, "Uh, I don't have any acting experience. Hey, man, you don't need any acting experience. You're just you'll just be an extra. And I go, well, since I really am not very proficient in acting and I don't aspire to be, um, I want a role." If possible, where I get shot. And <laughs> I think part part of the reason, I don't know why, I always wanted to be in a movie where I got shot or blown up or, you know. Well, like J, I,
1: like J.R. Ewing, who shot J.R. Yeah.
2: yeah, there you go. Right. But see, I have, my grandmother had a cousin who was in Westerns, like in the uh, 1940s or whatever. Uh, when westerns first started coming out, and he was the guy that got shot up the most in westerns <laughs> in, in the movies that 's his claim because, to fame that in, yeah, in yeah
1: in the i m d b it 's like the man who 's been shot more than anybody else in a western.
2: Yeah, in in the 40s, I guess. Yeah, but anyway. So I think because he wasn't that good of a looking guy, you know, and he looked pretty, you know, like downtrodden. And it's like, oh, let's shoot the uh, ugly dude. So uh, I don't know. It's just uh, any. So basically, that's how I got into it. So I was I was the guy, Johnny Paranoia, who (laughs) is the. And the film is great because it shows all the, like, the paranoia store. Talk about, you brand, know, Brand marketing. placement, yeah. <laughs> brand placement is ideal. And so there's several scenes where I'm wearing the paranoia shirt, and especially the one where I, I'm in a uh, firefight with the uh, SWAT team, and then I get blasted, and you see all the blood running around the where it says paranoia. So it was just it was perfect. <laughs> it was great. But uh, the <laughs> film was actually pretty darn good, man. I was impressed. So was Laurie. You know, at first you're thinking, well, it was a very low budget movie. And uh, Oh, no, but...
1: no, no, no. Those can be the yeah. best. Yeah.
2: And you know what? It's going to be featured hopefully on the Conspiracy channel. I was just talking to Luke Pensabini, the producer today, and then uh, I messaged Rob Davenport and mm-hmm. I thought, hey, why not? It's kind of conspiracy related. I mean, there's like These police drones in it, Mm. so, you know, why not? Surveillance, police state, there we go.
1: We should get it on OSI-74 as well. You know, Paranoia actually sponsors uh, Paranoia Sundays.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that. I got to get with it, man.
1: OSI-74, baby. (laughs) OSI-74.com.
2: That is so darn groovy. Well, you know, know, I,
1: I was in a movie.
2: What? What? No,
1: for real. I was in a movie.
2: Yeah, what kind of movie?
1: <laughs> a cheap one. What? So, so Mr. Lobo, my uh, uh-huh. best friend here, Mr. Uh-huh. Lobo comes to me and says, "Hey, you know, uh, I'm going to be directing a sequence in a movie, and he's like, I really want you to be in it." and i'm like well you understand that you know i can barely do a podcast it's like i'm not an actor yeah. <laughs> right? right and he goes no 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 you'll you'll be perfect you'll be perfect i said okay well what am i He's said like, you're a mib a men in black <laughs> I, I guess we'll have to save what a men in black is for another episode of the podcast but yeah so, so i was a do you mib
2: have a you should share that screenshot with the uh, listeners. You know, I so, should
1: I should put it on our, our Paranoia Magazine Facebook.
2: Yes, you should. <laughs> I think that would only be appropriate. We'll have mine where I'm shot dead with the Paranoia shirt, and then we'll have you as a mid. There you go. Basically – only- Hitting. It's only fitting.
1: Basically what happened is that there was a, a lady uh, by the name of the Queen of Trash. And mm-hmm. she was a bad guy. And uh, she went in to, uh, to talk to her handler, who is the who is uh, a drag queen named Peaches Christ, who's amazing. I mean, amazing uh-huh. drag queen. Uh-huh. And, and so Peaches, uh, I want to say Peaches um, shoots her. And then me and Mr. Lobo are dressed as Men in Black, and we have to come in and we have to to pull her out of Peach's apartment after we shoot Peaches. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so how long were you in the uh, movie? Like, how, how many minutes? Oh, I don't know, maybe,
1: hmm, maybe six or seven minutes. Cool. Yeah, and well, that's then great. Yeah, and then we we're supposed to film some other stuff where we interrogate or no she poisoned uh uh, the queen of trash but we were supposed to interrogate her but i couldn't get up there for that so mr lobo filmed it in a his the the guy that he lived with at the time had a like an amusement park ride like a like a a cave ride in his backyard Uh and so Uh mr lobo filmed the interrogation scene inside that that cave wow dude had a tiki room too it was awesome yeah, yeah. He had like a full-on tiki room, like at some amusement park that I'm not going to mention <laughs> on That's the 33rd neat. degree parallel. <laughs> well,
2: it's only appropriate, right?
1: Right. But but yeah. So so I was in it. I'm in IMDb. Uh, it's called Astro Zombies Three.
2: Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it kind of reminds me of Clyde Lewis. He was in a couple of movies and what was the one uh, Nightfall, something like that. Well, he wrote he Nightfall. Was- yeah, he played a zombie. He played uh he played a not too bright zombie that um these were zombies that couldn't be out in daylight otherwise they, you know, they explode, right? <laughs> so so he gets off the table, Awesome. Right? You know, he wakes up, you know, and right. uh he's like walking around and he runs outside. And then the door sh- locks behind him, and he looks up, and he sees the sun, and he's going, uh-oh, <laughs> and he tries to, go, tries to go back in. The door is locked, and all of a sudden, he's starting to scream, ah, 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 and his head blows up. Oh, it's so great.
1: Actually, you know, I've been talking to Mr. Lobo because um, OSI-74, he he uh, secured a deal with Troma that owns uh-huh. Nightfall, and so he's he's been talking to Troma oh, to see if we can show great. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, why not? But right now, you know, we have a, I think it's a Sergeant Kabuki Man, Mm -hmm. Sergeant Kabuki Man um, cocktail theater or something that basically it's Sergeant Kabuki Man, like hanging out, making cocktails. It's really funny.
2: I want to be a part of that actually, because that's (laughs) sort of, sort of like me. Well, you have to go to New
1: York for that. <laughs> they film it in New
2: York. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Paranoia can pay my way uh, by next year anyway. Sure. 2017. Yeah, baby. Yeah, we're right. Gonna, we're going to be rolling in <laughs> the doubt, baby. Rolling in the doubt. <laughs> yeah, we are. I have faith that good things will happen and it would just be fun to do different film projects too, you know, because really paranoia is about multimedia now. So we have the magazine going and we're, you know, publishing books. We're trying and, trying uh, to do a we, podcast. Yes. We, and I think it's, it's successful. There's actually, there's real humans and possibly some aliens out there who are listening. I know it for a fact. I've talked
1: to I know it for a fact, too. They've sent me (laughs) emails. Like,
2: you guys are a bunch of jerks. What the hell do you think you're talking about? No, but it's going to build up. And uh, I think we have a lot of very interesting topics to, uh, you know, discuss and disseminate. Uh, You know, a lot of the stuff that comes out of Paranoia magazine. Well, speaking of topics,
1: so, you know, we were discussing it. Uh, We didn't have a request uh, this week, but if you do want to send a request, uh, you can send it via Twitter at a uh, twitter slash paranoia mag or Facebook, or paranoia magazine. Um, but I was talking to you, Ron, and you know, we were having a little bit of a, a chit chat about that, and uh, I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that that we needed to do some mind control, especially after last week. You know, we were talking about my lab and mind control, and in relation uh-huh. to the national parks thing, and so. The listeners may not know, because Mr. Patton keeps a very low profile now, but Mr. Patton is a mind control expert that he he has researched and written about mind control for many years. Uh, he's helped to deprogram people. Um, and I, I said, hey, Ron, you know, you got to talk about mind control. And Ron, of course, responded back to me. He said, you know what? I got to do Project Monarch. So this, mm-hmm. this week we're going to do Project Monarch. This is really Ron's, uh, Ron's cup of tea here, so I'm going to turn it over to Ron.
2: Well, it's kind of like, uh, I guess it could be titled uh, Monarch Mind Control Mania, uh, only because there's been a lot of uh, talk out there in the uh, conspiracy field uh, since probably around the 90s, early 90s, about something called Project Monarch. And uh, it really first came out um, under Mark Phillips. Uh, Mark Phillips was allegedly a uh, Department of Defense contractor who helped um, save a woman by the name of Kathy O'Brien, and I think this was occurred back in the uh, mid to late 80s. And he helped uh, deprogram her, and they put out a book called Transformation of America. And <clears throat> along the same time, there was uh, a guy here in Portland, Oregon, by the name of Fritz Springmeier, and also a woman by the name of Cisco Wheeler, who was an alleged... Uh, MK Ultra mind control survivor, and they were also putting out information that was quite similar. Um, so it was something that was like very intriguing, and this occurred right after you know during the eighties. Uh, that was a period that was sort of referred to as the Satanic Panic area era, because you had uh, like the McMartin daycare scandal and the Presidio daycare. scandal and the Franklin cover-up, which all allegedly uh, entailed um, mind control, uh, satanic ritual abuse.
1: Well, now, now during the, during the late eighties, there was a kind of satanic panic in general. I mean, it seemed that everywhere, you know, people were talking Uh about these Satanist groups, not just, Uh you know, with the child abuse and the mind control, but like killing cats. And, you know, there were Satanists Uh everywhere, you know, and they were running the government. And I mean, at that time, Satanists, and not, not like Anton LaVey Satanists, I mean like Satanists, Satanists, You know, supposedly were like everywhere. They became like the communists of the 1980s.
2: Right. And so there was a bit of hysteria. um, But I think that was uh, intentional, really. Uh, There was a lot of disinformation that was put out. And, you know, like I tell a lot of people, usually, not all the time, but usually the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I think with the satanic panic, because uh, there's a lot of Satanists. And uh, people who practice, uh, you know, dark magic, you know, who will say, oh, there's no proof of satanic ritual abuse. And, uh, you know, you just don't see any evidence of it whatsoever, which really isn't true. There's uh, lots of evidence. It's a lot of it's just unfortunately covered up. And I mean, this information comes from people in law enforcement that I've spoken to over the years. So. Yeah, it does exist, but I don't think it's quite as rampant as a lot of people think. It's just so sensational that, you know, it's kind of like during the Salem witch trials, you know, the back in the uh, 1600s in, in the United States. You know, people got so hysteric that they were accusing uh, their neighbors who looked at them the wrong way of being a witch, right? Seriously, it got that bad. So... um So it's kind of like what was occurring in the 80s. But again, I believe this was really planned. I believe it was a a government type of disinformation program. And, you know, a lot of people probably not like me for saying this, but I think uh, Ted Gunderson actually had a lot to do with that, the disinformation campaign. Um, He was a former FBI bureau chief who was uh, instrumental in creating COINTELPRO, which was sort of the uh, government infiltration program of so-called dissident groups back in the 60s, such as the uh, Black Panthers and the Sibonese Liberation Army and, uh, you know, different groups of that nature. And, uh, so what he was doing is he was putting out a lot of information and statistics back in the 80s and 90s about satanic ritual abuse. And uh, a lot of the stuff was really unfounded. And so what he would do is like try to debate like Anton LaVey or uh, Zena LaVey, Anton's daughter, or even like Michael Aquino on on different TV shows like Sally, Sally Jesse Raphael. Or Geraldo Rivera.
1: Morton Downey yeah. Jr.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was just it was I found it very intriguing. Um, but at the same time I was miffed. I was really confused because I knew on on one hand that what Gunderson said was a bunch of BS. It's like he's just throwing out a bunch of information as if they're facts, right? But because he was in the FBI, right this knight in shining armor who supposedly helped break open the McMartin daycare scandal and, you know, uh, some other cases across the country. Actually, what he did is he went around as the so-called expert on satanic ritual abuse or mind control. So anytime there was a major case throughout the country, he would get involved in it. And more times than not, he would essentially make the uh, cases fall apart because of either embellishment or exaggeration or just disinformation. So I think that was his uh, M.O. And he kind of continued that in the uh, 90s by talking about Monarch with, (coughs) excuse me, uh, John DeCamp, former uh, state senator who put out the uh, Franklin cover-up. So you have Again, kind of going back to the transformation of America, Mark Phillips and Kathy O'Brien, who put out that book, and it was very sensational. Uh, I I met them several times, and I mean, I really uh, felt for Kathy O'Brien, but I just thought something wasn't right with Mark Phillips um, when I asked very direct pointed questions about where he got his sources and, you know, hey... So I understand you know how to deprogram people. Like, where's the proof, you know? And uh, he would always sort of, like, uh, slip and slide. He reminded me of a used car salesman, honestly. And uh, I just didn't have a, a good feeling about it. And then later on, there were a lot of uh, uh, MKUltra slash Monarch mind control survivors who really believed that he was part of the disinformation campaign as well. And that... Kathy O'Brien was simply a, uh, uh, survivor who was still being, uh, used in, but in a different capacity, sort of in this disinformation type capacity and, uh, same thing with Fritz Springmeier. A lot of people know that I was associated with Fritz and I also knew Cisco Wheeler, um, who I was told passed away a couple of months ago. I don't know if that's true, but if it is true, I I feel really bad about that because I really wanted to be able to, you know, talk with her and kind of get her perspective on things after her parting her ways with Fritz Springmeier. But uh, he was another person who was putting out some very—honestly, uh, he put out some really good information, but at the same time, some of the stuff was pretty spurious. And uh, a lot of people thought he was just being really hyper-religious and kind of hiding behind this Christian veneer. Well, well um, Ron,
1: want... Ron he, what? he has accused you of being an Illuminati <laughs> agent. Uh-huh. And, a, and a disinformation uh, agent.
2: And a Jesuit <laughs> spy, just because I went to a—yeah, w- which is crazy. You know, I went to a Marinus Catholic high school, and all of a sudden I'm this Jesuit spy. Well, I guess that's the best he could do. Oh, well. But, I mean—but, <clears throat> yeah, it was just a, a very crazy period in my life. And I also—I I often thought, it's like, how did I get caught up in all this stuff? you know and especially knowing Ted Gunderson and you know meeting Mark Phillips and Kathy O'Brien and sort of like befriending Fritz for a few years and then finding out that you know he he wasn't the person he alleged to be. You know, a lot of people don't realize he was in federal prison back in the 80s for kidnapping, yet he doesn't really talk about that. He doesn't tell people why, you know, so he, he kindly, uh, he he conveniently hides behind this veneer of being this good Christian minister. And, uh, but, you know, I think over a period of time, the facts will reveal themselves. And it's, it's not anything like I have this vendetta or whatever, but I just know I I was with them. I knew a lot of things that occurred during that period of time, and uh, you know the whole Project Monarch thing. I don't discount it all, okay? Because I truly, truly believe there was a uh, um, an MK Ultra type of program where they were creating multiple personalities in children, and if people don't know what monarch programming or project monarch is uh, supposedly about, it's creating multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder. In children, you know, it's to create uh, these alters or these split personalities. And what they do with these alters or personalities is they program each one of them to do an assigned task or function. So one might be like a human tape recorder, one might be trained as an assassin, one might be trained as a prostitute. So, uh, you know, when you think about it, it's very ingenious to be able to create all these different types of people or these secret agent type personalities and put them into one person. You know, it's very cost effective when you think about it. <clears throat> and who would suspect a a beautiful playboy bunny, bunny from Lansing, Michigan being an assassin? You know? Yeah, but I mean, I say that because I knew of a a woman who was, you know, uh, and she was involved in a very high profile assassination. I just, I don't want to talk about it right now, but uh, so I've talked to so many people who were part of this and I truly believe that there was a program like Monarch or Project Monarch, but you'll you'll never find any official documentation through either through the Freedom of Information Act or anything prior to 1990 or 1989 eluding to a Project Monarch. And I believe that, uh, from my understanding, there was a, uh, a whistleblower, a political activist by the name of Harlan Gerard from Philadelphia, who was sort of tracking the whole Monarch thing. And he found out that Mark Phillips was the one who first came out with that, sort of that moniker or that that phrase, uh, Project Monarch. So that's sort of how things got started with uh, uh, Project Monarch. Um, and it, it's actually sort of, it could be like a combination of different types of projects. Um, but again, you're not going to find anything per se that... Uh, you know again, no documentation will substantiate it. such a uh, program by the CIA or Department of Defense actually exists
1: so if if it's a composite of various programs so uh-huh. how how do they go actually go about because I'm I'm not the the expert in in the mind uh-huh. control stuff. Ultra is really your 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 ball of wax. Right. When you talk you know about I mean? when you talk about Project Monarch, right? Let, let's say for the uh-huh. sake of argument, the Project Monarch as we know it is a composite of several several programs that that are very deeply hidden, deep 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 down in the system. Right. How how would you? What are the mechanisms that they use to try to try to do this kind of uh, mind control?
2: Well, I mean, some of the things that they do to create the splits are uh, to dissociate people, especially children. And it has to be children. It's not like they can take a person who is older and try to create those splits because what it'll do is it'll more likely create a a PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. It just doesn't have the same type of uh, response. Whereas a child's psyche is still being developed so they say usually the mpd or did system can only be created prior to the age of six and so um, the basically the uh, department of defense and the cia attained a lot of uh, information from uh, the uh, project paperclip doctors that came into the united states and so there was a lot of uh um experiments that were be car- were carried out at uh, Dachau, Auschwitz and several other uh concentration camps. And so the paperclip doctors allegedly came into the United States and uh under the uh, auspices of uh Wild Bill Donovan who was uh, in charge of the uh, OSS. Uh, that was a precursor to the CIA, and then in 1947, it became the uh, CIA, and then they also uh, put together the National Security Council, and that's really when uh, pro- the uh, MKUltra projects first started. I think it, they first started with the uh, Project Chatter, which was a response to the Soviets, the Soviets' uh, brainwashing that they were carrying out and so a lot of that they were utilizing drugs. So one of the things that they do uh, again to create trauma is uh either I mean I hate to be graphic about it is they rape the child um or they might uh, shoot another child in front of a child like they'll have two groups. Uh, one group is called the chosen ones, and those are the ones that are observing what's going on. And so, let's say, there, and then there's the expendable ones, and they're the ones that are usually tortured or taken out. Um, and so, they see some really horrific things. Uh, electroshock is something else that occurs with these children in order to create the splits. And... And uh, they're also given various types of drugs. Um, you know, of course, LSD was one of those drugs, but there were many, many more drugs. Um, and, you know, we only know 20% of really what came out of MKUltra. So that's why it's, it's something very, very uh, secret. And, you know, when they um, declassified MKUltra, There were so many things that were altered or blacked out, Uh, but there were people who were talking about uh, being like hypno couriers, assassins or whatever, having like split personalities. There was actually a doctor during World War II by the name of Dr. George Estabrook, who would uh, talk about being able to create these hypno courier assassins uh, just through hypnosis and some drugs Um, which was interesting because there was a movie that came out um, you know back in the uh, I believe it was the early 60s called uh, The Manchurian Candidate had Frank Sinatra and it was sort of like the same premise where they were being hypnotized and given drugs and you know, they would pretty much do anything the uh, their handler would tell them to do. So those are the, the main components, you know, in order to create trauma would be usually uh, uh, f- some sort of physical abuse, which included rape, uh, electroshock, uh, drugs, and uh, other types of torture as well. And, you know, the reason I guess I... Had a very uh, profound interest in this is because I actually didn't believe this happened. Uh, somebody told me about this at a church that I I went to, and uh, basically he was saying that he was a part of this program. He was at uh, China Lake Naval Weapons Center and. He was part of the chosen ones, the, the kids that were bloodliners who were expend, expend or not expendable but were the ones that were going to be programmed to carry out all kinds of different assignments. You know, and so 75% of these individuals are women. And the reason why there's so many women that are part of this is because um, – they can usually dissociate better than men. They can endure a lot more pain. And again, you know, who would suspect a beautiful woman being an assassin? And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, there's so many movies that really depict, you know, this type of persona. Uh, you have movies like The Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis, uh, you have uh, Hannah. Salt with uh, Angelina Jolie. Um, What other movies that are out there? Um, Kill Bill. I don't know if you saw that. Of course. And then, you know, you have these femme fatale. Oh, uh, there's another. God, it's with uh, Bridget Fonda. Yeah. But
1: that's a a remake of the original um, Luc Besson film that was part of the French New Wave. Right.
2: Right. The original
1: is much, much better.
2: Right. So I find it very intriguing that there are so many movies that really depict this stuff. So on one hand – oh, and then there's a movie called Telephone. Which yes, came out in that, 1977.
1: That I Trump's want to ask you president. about that. That was actually in my notes to ask you is about telephone. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Because one of the things that I'm curious about <clears throat> is that you've already gone through the kind of how do you, how do you program them? What do you, you know, the let's say for the sake of a better term, Project Monarch survivors. Uh-huh. You know how how do you how do you actually trigger them? How do you activate somebody?
2: Right. Well. Back, I would say, when it first started out, like, and uh, when it was in full swing, back in the fifties and sixties, um, it was usually done through um, uh, sort of auditory or, or verbal commands, and that could have been like through uh, a, a poem. Or it could have been through reciting a fairy tale, especially if it was a child. And you know, a child can you know readily identify with fairy tales and children's songs, and so that's how they were activated. Usually, it was through. Things of that nature
1: is so. This is the Catcher in the Rye thing, right? Where exactly you see a lot of assassins that when they're when they've completed the task, you know, the, they either have a copy of Catcher in the Rye in their pocket, or they'll mm-hmm. actually sit down and read Catcher in the Rye while they wait to be apprehended.
2: Right, right. And so basically, there's certain there might be certain passages. Let's say Catcher in the Rye. So you had people like John Hinckley Jr., right? who uh, tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. And then shortly thereafter, you had uh, Mark Chapman, who did assassinate um, John Lennon. And what did he have in his possession, right? Yeah, <laughs> Catcher catch in the Rye. Very right. interesting. But the thing is, there's activation, right? So I believe that Catcher in the Rye was just to reinforce the programming, right? to keep the programming intact, but he needed a command. Let's say like Mark Chapman, for instance, right? He needed, he needed a, a, a trigger phrase to activate his programming. So I believe the person who activated his programming was the doorman at the Dakota Hotel who happened to be a Cuban national who was also a, a CIA asset who came into the United States right after the Bay of Pigs. And Interesting. the same thing happened when Robert Kennedy was assassinated and you had somebody like Sirhan Sirhan, right, who was, you know, highly suggestible. Um, he had PTSD. Um, and uh, the thing is the, the last person who spoke to him was the infamous woman in the polka dot dress. Now, I have it on good authority, very good authority. Actually, he was somebody who was involved in the assassination, who knows who the woman is, and said she was also a Cuban national. And uh, she came into the United States with the guy who was the uh, doorman, you know, at the Dagoto Hotel, because he, uh, my friend Rod McKenzie, he was a... uh, contract agent for the Department of Defense and for the mob. And uh, so he knew both of those people. And so he believes that he gave uh, the woman in the polka dot dress, gave Sirhan Sirhan the trigger phrase to activate him and to start shooting. So those are uh, two incidences where I think you could actually see or, you know, understand how this uh, type of programming is is activated. Uh, the other part of it is sort of like memory dissolution, right? It's kind of like wh- when Sirhan, Sirhan, they asked him, did you do it? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any memory.
1: Yeah, he still and, doesn't.
2: Yeah. And so you actually have a lot of people that have no memory of what occurred. Or sometimes they'll have what's called screen memories. Like they'll say... Well, this is what I remember, but it has nothing to do with what actually occurred, you know. So I think that screen memory is actually put in there as a way to kind of confuse or mislead or, or just make the person look like they're crazy, you know.
1: Well, it's it's interesting. We were talking about Telefon because basically the premise of Telefon is that there's a rogue KGB. I think it was a KGB colonel yeah. who comes to America and starts to make phone calls Uh and he reaches out and touches a few people and starts giving them activation codes Uh and the the uh, kgb sleeper agents are mind controlled and once they're given the activation code they carry out their various tasks which is assassination sabotage Uh etc and then charles bronson is comes over and he's sent out to find the guy and to kill him
2: yeah Yeah, I think it's a classic. And I always refer to that movie for people to see if they want to see how sort of people can possibly be activated. Uh, So, again, that's one way of activating uh, sort of a sleeper or somebody who's programmed, right, is through some sort of verbal command. Uh, There's also the utilization of hand signals. I've actually seen this done Uh, at different conferences (laughs) where a person who was speaking was uh, all of a sudden would switch or quit saying something that they were going to say and then go on to something else through hand signals. And uh, so that's one. And then there's other um, activation modalities such as uh, tones, you know and and these are type of tones that a person might not hear you know audibly necessarily but just depending upon you know the how the frequency of the tone is it might uh uh possibly activate activate a certain type of program i know years ago when um when i was married and we were actually safe housing a person who was uh like a monarch program individual And uh, we were told by this person who was helping her out previously to make sure she doesn't answer the phone. You know, this is almost kind of getting back to the whole telephone thing. And uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, we can do that. So when um, the phone rang, She would like almost run for the phone. It's like – we we'll call her April. April, what are you doing? Don't answer the phone. Oh, I'm sorry. I just feel like answering the phone. So I would pick up the phone and I would hear all these weird computer-generated tones. I mean it was freaky. I, I should have recorded them. But I mean I've talked to other survivors and I've talked to – um like uh, deprogrammers and stuff, and they go, "Oh, those those were just act, yeah, those were activation codes." <laughs> so,
1: so, so one of the other things that you were talking about when you were talking about the chosen ones, yeah. versus the expendables, use the words one um, bloodliners.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. can you get into that? Well, some of these uh, children, which um, were referred to as the chosen ones, I think had parents that were involved in uh, either like the FBI or Freemasons or multi-generational occultism of some sort. And I hate to use the word Satanism because there's other types of uh, malevolent uh, groups out there other than just Satanist. okay? I think it's more appropriate to say Luciferian uh, type of groups. And so a lot of these chosen ones allegedly— are from Luciferian families that go back generations and generations. And it also seems like there's a tie-in with with the Rothschilds, with the Rothschild bloodline. And so I don't know if that's for real or just part of the programming, you know. But they have this, like, deep connection with, with Roth, the Rothschilds. And as a matter of fact, um, I met this... Uh, one guy who's like a deprogrammer by the name of Marion Knox in Lebanon, Oregon, you know, not too far from from Portland. And he was helping a lot of people uh, as far as deprogramming. I mean, these were people that were going through like big-name deprogrammers across the country, and they couldn't get help. But Marion was able to help them out. And he found out that there was this connection to the Rothschilds, And uh, that a lot of these survivors, if you you were able to access their uh, secret names that they were given to when they were raped as children, uh, they were like these three-year-old. I know this sounds like really outlandish and stuff, but a lot of the survivors who I talked to said, you know, this, this stuff is real. And uh, at the age when they do these rituals, they're given a secret name. So once he was able to ascertain what the secret name was and, you know, was able to like pray for them and, you know, be able to kind of get down to the nitty gritty of things, he was able to collapse not only the MPD system, the multiple personality system, but the, the programming. And it was like, uh, it was so crazy cuz i i was skeptical about him really cuz it's like oh this just this can't happen you know these <laughs> it just doesn't work that way but i met so many people that he was able you know that he was actually able to help and for years they were fine i mean sure that when you go through this type of torture i don't think you're ever the same but more than anybody else, I think Mary Knox was able to, to help quite a few people. But there was always this element of the Rothschild bloodline. They, they felt they had this connection with the Rothschilds. And so um, I don't know, honestly, if there's some sort of genetic predisposition or if it was just part of the programming where they felt that they had this Rothschild uh, program. And then the other part of it, too, was Joseph Mingla. Now, he was allegedly a really influential part of monarch programming. And if you don't know who Joseph Mengele is, he was referred to as the angel of death at uh, Auschwitz and other concentration camps in Germany. And he was conducting all kinds of experiments, uh, genetics. He was uh, doing... um, experiments with twins, but he was also apparently involved in mind control experiments as well. And he was he supposedly came from a Luciferian family and he was uh spared the Nuremberg trials because he was considered an asset. And so they basically hid him out in South America and basically saying, well, he wasn't that important. And then later they admitted, oh, yeah, he did all—he was involved in all these atrocities. But I think that was all a cover-up because he was considered a very vital asset for both the genetics as well as mind control. And so people, a lot of these mind control survivors who see pictures of them, like they either go into some sort of like post-hypnotic trance or they just get freaked out when they see him because they say he was the guy who was involved in my programming and you know this was from like the 50s and 60s and then they remember his voice and the german accent that he had so he was known as uh, dr green for whatever reason that was his uh code name his dr green yeah Yeah. And I mean, so and there's there's various levels of uh, monarch programming. And uh, there's a doctor by name of uh, Corey, Corey Hammond, I believe, from the University of Utah. He's a psychiatrist. And he had a, a, a conference where he talked about this type of programming that was occurring. Um, and he was talking about monarch type programming. I think later he, uh, he didn't use the word monarch because he realized that it, it it couldn't be, uh, validated or verified, but he still believed that the government was very much involved in creating these, uh, MPD type of, uh, courier assassins, prostitute, drug runners. And so he came up with, uh, various levels of monarch programming so you know he had you had the regular alpha type programming and those are the individual that's sort of like the human tape recorder type of programming where they can like be in a room with a lot of people talking simultaneously and they could pick out one conversation and memorize it you know verbatim and then be able to uh, recite it later on once you know the activation trigger is initiated, and then you have something that's called a beta programming, which is more like a sexual programming. Kind of gets down to the primitive sexual instincts, and you know a lot of these are women who are involved in uh, like a prostitution type of uh, uh, programming, where they're they're involved with, let's say, business people or people with high profile. And the reason they're involved with uh, politicians and business people is so that they can blackmail them, or not them blackmail them, but whoever their handlers are. And so I I think this happens a lot in government, you know, especially high up in government, where it's like, hey, if you don't do what we say, we have these pictures, (laughs) you know, and, uh, so, again, I, I've really um, spoken to quite a few uh, survivors who remember being prostituted out to very famous people, and there were photographs taken, And um, but they know that once this stuff occurred, then their careers changed quite significantly. <laughs> it was sort of like, okay, you play our game, otherwise, you know, we're going to expose you. Uh, another type of programming is called Delta programming, and that, this is also referred to as like assassination or killer programming. And uh, some of this is actually used in, uh, I, I know, like Navy sails and Delta. And so there's a lot of people in uh, special forces who are actually programmed as well, and they have to fit a psychological profile. A lot of people don't realize that, but, uh, basically they're, they're controlled sociopaths. A lot of them, I hate to say it, probably get in trouble for that, but, you know, I, I've talked to so many, uh, people who were either in special forces or, or know about certain, certain guys that were sort of like quite a bit different. <laughs> when I say quite a bit different, it was like, uh, They were able to kill a lot of people, but do it in a very... uh uh, silent way.
1: Well, I think, I think it's also important to point out that, you know, when you're talking about Delta programming and you're talking about the special forces of the Navy Mm -hmm. SEALs, that it's, it's not all special forces. It's not all Navy. It's very specific individuals that are pulled out of that program because
2: they they have to fit a site. They have to fit the psychological profile. A lot of those guys were abused when they were younger. Right. So, they're a little bit more pliable in terms of being able to be programmed.
1: And, you know, I think that's a very important thing to point out in general because, you know, in conspiracy theory, I think there's this notion that when we talk about various conspiracy theories that, like, everybody in the government is corrupt or Uh all businessmen are being blackmailed or. You know, there's these overgeneralizations of, of the scale. And right. it, I think it's very important to understand that, that when you talk about things like Project Monarch, you talk about alpha programming, beta programming, delta programming, that they these are very specific individuals, that you're not talking mm-hmm. about millions of people. You're talking about thousands of people or hundreds of people. And when you talk about conspiracies in general, you know, not everybody in the government is involved. Not everybody in the special forces is involved.
2: No, it's very compartmentalized. <laughs> yeah. Yes, very, 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 very tight. So it's kind of like when I talk to special forces people about this stuff, they know that it exists. They just don't know a lot about it because, you know, they go, you know, things are so compartmentalized and we only know so much, you know. But they know that those type of people exist within special forces. But they're sort of... uh, You know, they're sort of on the sideline doing their own thing. And so,
1: yeah, or, or they belong, they go out of the special, they get the special forces training, Mm -hmm. then they're maturated out of the special forces and they go to work in something like Blackwater.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. It's yep. it's like free
1: training, right? Yeah. But but again, you know these are very very specific individuals, and I, I think a lot of times, you know, the sp- people in the special forces they might know that guy and say, well, that guy's a little off, b- mm-hmm. but boy, is he efficient, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that person may be one of these people, or it may just be yeah. very good at it. It's hard right. to tell.
2: Right. And then uh, there's another type of programming called theta programming, where it's sort of like psychic type. Programming, and that pretty much coincides with uh, uh, one of the MK Ultra subprojects known as Spellbinder, um, and the other one was Project Often, O F T E N, which was sort of a, a, a sort of a research study where they tried to uh, they attempted to harness the power of occult forces. And uh, so whether or not that actually worked is speculative, but uh, it's interesting that this theta programming has to do with theta type of uh, programming, uh, which was also indicative of some of the um, soldiers that were involved in the 1st Earth Battalion. And so the 1st Earth Battalion was something that was developed, I believe, in the 1980s under the auspices of uh, Colonel Jim Channon. And uh, it wasn't psychological warfare, but it was known as psychic warfare. You're part of a psychic warfare division. And uh, there was actually sort of a movie. It was kind of a spoof that was made a few years ago called The Men Who S- Men Who Stare at Goats with uh George Clooney.
1: Actually and, and it's a it's an amazing book. But uh-huh. if you read the book, it's it's actually Menesteric Goats is amazing. Right. But a lot of a lot of that that kind of methodology for the First Earth Battalion, you know, that was a response to the Soviets because at the time they, the Soviets, the KGB, uh-huh. you know, and the GRU and and the other elements of their intelligence apparatus were uh-huh. experimenting with psychics, they were experimenting with occult forces. They were experimenting with all this stuff, and the CIA knows about it. They, right. they come back and they say, hey, you know, they think that they can kill somebody, you know, psychically at distance. Uh-huh. You know, we better get our hands on that because we don't want to be losing the psychic warfare gap. You know, there's right. like the nuclear gap. How many missiles do we have versus them? Uh-huh. At that time, there yep. was very much a psychic gap, too, that they – they always called them gaps, that they wanted mm-hmm. to level the playing field so right. that we we had psychic soldiers that could kill people at distance as well.
2: Right, right. I know there's a guy by the name of uh, Duncan O'Finian. He's kind of a controversial dude, and he was supposedly part of this, like, not First Earth Battalion, but actually another type of uh, – uh, Psychic warfare group when he was a teenager and him and some other kids went to Vietnam and they uh, got in this circle and they like started concentrating and all of a sudden there was like this huge explosion like a bomb went off around them and You know they were they weren't uh, affected by it, but supposedly all these Viet Cong were dead because of what they were able to do. And I thought, Oh yeah, right. But there were several, uh, um, like green berets and special forces who later came out to say that what he's saying is right. (laughs) This kind of stuff actually happened. They were involved in all kinds of crazy stuff. And, uh, but the thing about Duncan is, uh, there's this other type of programming and, uh, a lot of m k ultra slash monarch people that come out and that aren't totally um deprogrammed or healed have a lot of residual programming which is either like which misdirects or is basically disinformation or misinformation and so that's where we come into the screen memory part of things remember earlier i was talking about how screen memory works and so i've talked to several survivors about certain things that they were involved in and i had to tell them you can't you couldn't be involved in all that at the same time because you're talking you were supposedly here right but then you were actually over here, <laughs> and that that can't happen. You know, you're not omnipresent. You're not God, you know. And they were really pissed off, a couple of people. But I, I just I started thinking about it, and then I came to the realization that some of this could be just overlapping type of screen programming. So, to again, to mislead or misdirect. And that's what's referred to, again, as gamma programming or deception programming. And, you know, that also makes the individual look like they're crazy because they're not consistent with their stories. And I know that, I believe that Duncan O'Finian went through some sort of program like Monarch, but there's a lot of uh, inconsistencies with his stories that make him look like he's some sort of crackpot or whatever. And unfortunately, that's, I would have to say, with a lot of uh, um, survivors that have like written books. Um, Again, going back to transformation of America and, you know, talking about how the um, Western music industry and how Major League Baseball is involved in monarch programming and all this. It's just sort of like so far out there and there's no evidence to substantiate it. And so I think that's a really big thing is the whole deception or the, the gamma programming. And then there's the uh, the final programming, which is omega programming. And that's what's known as self-destruct programming or self-mutilation. Mutilation or, uh, um, for instance, one time I saw this woman who was sort of like in this... Uh, post-hypnotic trance and I don't know why this guy did it but he was saying like hey watch this and he put her in this uh activated her you know gave her this trigger and all of a sudden I saw these lines on her leg appear like little red lines you know like when you cut out a pattern you have these little lines and all of a sudden they started appearing and I'm like looking at him and looking at her and it's like what the hell and uh, he was saying, oh, that's where she's supposed to cut, meaning that that's, that's where the major arteries are for her to cut, cut herself, and to kill herself.
1: Appeared along her major arteries, and she had a compulsion to cut along those lines.
2: Yeah. Well, she was antsy and she was like looking around for stuff and he was able to get, you know, like, and I'm thinking, why is this guy doing that? That's why it was such a weird period of my life. It's like, why, why am I seeing this? Or I actually had to like check my own sanity. But I mean, I've heard other, um, survivors, monarch survivors where lines would like all of a sudden appear on their bodies, for instance, I know this one guy named Ken who lives here in Oregon. He was a uh, he was part of special forces in South Africa, and he was being uh, he was going through some deprogramming. And it would seem like when they were getting really into the nitty gritty of the deprogramming, and he started uh, recovering memories, these occult symbols. And mathematical equations would start breaking out all over his body, like welts. Really, they were like red welts, but they were occult symbols and, and mathematical equations.
1: Are there photos of this?
2: Um, I can, I don't know, um, but apparently several people witnessed this, including his wife, and I believe there's any reason why he should lie about it. But I mean, I can try to get in touch with this guy. But he was was, uh, an assassin when he was in South Africa. Um, And he had no idea until later. He started recovering some memories. And one day his wife found him curled up in a ball, crying like a baby, sucking his thumb. And here's a grown man who was, you know... (laughs) Uh, heavy-duty dude, you know. He was a tough guy. So uh, so I know that this stuff happens where people start breaking out with symbols or, or like these mathematical equations or like I said with this one woman who started... I could see the lines on her leg and those were the major arteries where she was supposed to cut herself and kill herself. Well... On that, on,
1: <laughs> on that note, uh, we have reached an hour, so uh, th- this is our podcast.
2: <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, uh, but um, if I could uh, maybe just go over a few books that I would very much recommend for people to uh, take a look at if they want to understand both sort of the MK Ultra Monarch type of mind control programming. Uh, one book is called by... Carol Roots, R-U-T-Z, and it's called A Nation Betrayed, The Chilling True Story of Secret Cold War Experiments Performed on Children and Other Innocent People. And then uh, there's a book that we're going to be reprinting, republishing by Elisa called uh, Our Life Beyond MKUltra. It's a very fascinating story. Uh, Another good book would be by uh, Kathleen Sullivan, She's a recovered MK Ultra survivor, and it's called uh, "Unshackled: A Survivor's Story of Mind Control." And uh, three more books, really quickly. Um, there's a Dr. Colin Ross who wrote the book "Bluebird: The Deliberate Creation of Multiple Personality Disorder," um, and a book that I helped out with in in research. It's called "Mind Wars" by Marie D. Jones. It's a history of mind control, surveillance, and social engineering by the government, media, and secret societies. And there's a book that uh, we've recently republished called Operation Mind Control by Walter Bauert. And it's a very exhaustive book with all kinds of uh, very detailed information on not just mind control, but individuals who were part of mind controlled cults as well. So well, I highly recommend all those books.
1: And and for Operation Mind Control, uh, just to put it in perspective, it's it's over seven hundred pages long.
2: Yeah, it's a
1: it's a it's a book it's a
2: great book. Yeah, well, it originally came out in the seventies, right after the uh, uh, Frank Church hearings, when they declassified uh, MK Ultra, and then he put it out again back in the uh, mid nineties when he had some more information on some of the Monarch stuff that was coming out. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on about <laughs> the, you know, monarch-type programming, but again, you know, if I can just close in that and to say that I believe that actually this stuff still exists, but I believe it's entered the stage of uh, uh, electronics and transhumanism and uh, sometimes we need to – we should get e- Elisa onto the show and she could probably describe a lot better than I can about sort of the, uh, the current uh, mode or the current program of uh, what's going on with this type of uh, very highly systematic yet malevolent diabolical mind control.
1: Yeah, we'll absolutely get her on. Uh, and, and just for the listeners, you know, normally on the podcast, you're going to hear me and Ron, but there are certain situations like with Elisa where we want to bring on specific people to mm-hmm. discuss various topics.
2: Right. So sometime down the line, it would be great to get her on.
1: Absolutely. And for Operation Mind Control, you can find that at paranoiapublishing.com. Um, our website is paranoiamagazine.com, paranoiapublishing.com. You can get us on Twitter at twitter.com slash paranoiamag. Uh, uh-huh. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're Paranoia Magazine on Facebook. And uh, I think that's all the big ways to get a hold of us. Uh, if, if you're interested in talking to us, we also have contact forms. Uh, we have a hotline phone number. You can send us cryptic uh, cryptic mail. We have a PO box. We right. try to be available.
2: Right. And you can also call us psychically. So uh, go go ahead and try that.
1: Yeah, call me psychically. Put put some uh, put yourself into my dreams. <laughs>
2: All righty. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on there, Olaf. (laughs) Oh, sure. uh, Ron Patton. (laughs) That was a great episode. (laughs) I think so. uh, Next week, we'll have uh, more in store on the Paranoia Podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: As I always say, be excellent to one another and...
2: Take good care and keep the faith.
1: All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. All righty.
0: Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, is composed by Scott Moon, scottmoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental professorelemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia Watch new episodes on OSI 74 Visit us at osi74.com We are resuming control for now